remain risen and receive these words from the Gospel according to Luke, the 14th chapter, beginning with the 25th verse. Now large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And invite you now and all of us together to pray. Gracious God, for your presence here, for the great gift of being welcomed into your presence, we say thank you. And I pray that your spirit would move in and among and through this place and in all the places that your people called Foundry are gathered this day. Open us to receive your word for us and have the courage to respond. Use me or set me aside, but do as you will. I pray in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. There's a United Methodist Church in New York City that does not look anything like a United Methodist Church. I worked there part-time for a year when Anthony and I were living in the city, and I was consistently amazed at the oddity and beauty of the structure. Christ Church at Park Avenue and 60th Street, it's a rough part of town, let me tell you, <laughs> has a Byzantine edifice and is filled with marble of every hue. The sanctuary glitters with stunning mosaic in the domed apse and lining the arches and the ceiling in both the nave and in the side chapel. It is an awe-inspiring space, and it's worth a side trip if you're ever in that part of town. To be clear, Methodists did not take over an Orthodox Christian church building but rather this building was built as and for a United Methodist worshiping congregation. It was envisioned to 
to live into the vision of then-pastor Dr. Ralph W. Sockman, who was driven by the ecumenical spirit of the early 20th century and by the many non-Methodists who were part of his congregation already in that place. They were building a new structure for a merger congregation, and he had a vision to make the congregation's constituency steadily broader and more inclusive. He wanted the structure to to reflect the larger Christian traditions. When I think of these kinds of stunning mosaics, I also think of the Golden Rule mosaic in the United Nations building, also in New York City. The mosaic is based on a painting by well-known American artist Norman Rockwell, and it depicts people of every race, creed, and color with dignity and respect, and it touches on the theme of human rights. Inscribed on the surface of the mosaic is the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I encountered this amazing piece of art as a teenager uh, on a United Methodist-sponsored trip that started in D.C. and took took us up to New York to the United Nations building. It's the one thing I really remember clearly about the visit to the U.N. There's something about mosaic art that is so powerful Mosaics are created, of course, by piecing together small tiles or tesserae to create a whole image. The different materials that are used and the ways that the pieces are put together can create texture and shadow and shimmering light and a very particular kind of beauty. I can only imagine how many tiles were required to cover all of those arches and domes in Christ's church, or just one face in the piece at the UN. And I wouldn't begin to know what it cost to create those stunning images. Without each individual tile, the vision would not be complete and what a loss that would be. This is a fitting metaphor for Christian community because we only have community if there are individual persons to make up the community, each individual piece coming together to form something special. The beautiful diversities of all of our lives, of who we are and where we come from, our cultures, our experiences, our questions, our perspectives, our gifts, all of these things together create a particular image, a unique expression of the body of Christ, the church. It's one reason why every congregation has its very own ethos. They could have all sorts of things in common with other congregations, but every local congregation has its own vibe, its own character, even when it shares a lot with others. The persons living and dead whose lives have created and make up the congregation contribute to that image, that unique 
character, for better or worse. But some might begin to wonder, well, how does being part of a church make any difference? Why does it really matter? Is it just about making a pretty picture? Well, it only makes a difference. It only matters if we, each one of us, each individual person, each unique creation of God, each image of the living God that we are, if we truly enter into the community and receive both what is offered by God and what is available through life together in community. As with anything in life, The more you give in relationship, in commitment, in time, in resources, the more you will receive. And collectively, our witness, that is who and how we are and what we believe, and our service and our advocacy in the world for justice, Those things make a difference in proportion to what all of us together offer to that shared work. The more we bring ourselves and fill out the mosaic that is who God is calling us to be in community, the more that image can make a difference, inspire, draw people toward the life that God has and shares with us. And in fact, inclusive, loving, and just community has been God's dream for the world from the beginning. God's prophets through the ages are sent to try to guide us, to inspire, and get us to turn toward God's dream and share in its bounty and then share its bounty with others. And from age to age, God's prophets are largely blown off. And it's a story of being blown off that is what sets up our text for today, this difficult gospel text. Just before what Jackie read from Luke, Jesus has been at a banquet where a dinner guest said, Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus responded with the parable of the great dinner. In the parable, those who were invited to this amazing feast came up with excuse after excuse for blowing off the invitation. They all had better things to do, more important things to do. They weren't willing to change anything in their lives to make that feast a priority. Jesus was trying to help those at the banquet recognize that entering the kingdom of God requires life adjustments, may cost them a great deal, and that even the best excuses, family, life, vocation, human love, will not be sufficient. And that's where we pick up in Luke 14 today. To be clear right off the bat, because this is often a stumbling block that many can't get past, Jesus is not teaching us to hate our families. 
as if Jesus would ever teach hate of anyone. To hate, as it was used in this expression and in Jesus' words, is a Semitic expression, meaning to turn away from, to detach oneself from. There is nothing in the original language of the emotion that we think of or experience in the expression, I hate you. It's not what Jesus is teaching. I mentioned sort of off the cuff at nine o'clock because I had some of our therapists out in the house. I said, you know, I could probably do a whole sermon here about individuation, you know, this sort of separation from the family in order to find your own path, you know? There's something about that potentially here, but really the point, the point that Jesus is making with some hyperbole, in fact, is that, this, that you have to let go of something for the sake of following God's call. No matter how we slice it, it's a difficult teaching. Priorities and the cost of our choices is the central point of the other examples that Jesus offers to the crowd. The business of tower building, done most likely for protection of fields and homes from invasion, and the business of war making had serious implications, not only for the person doing the work, but also for the entire community. No one would enter into these things without very carefully thinking it through. And no thoughtful person would undertake these endeavors without counting the cost, recognizing that they will have to make significant sacrifices in order to see a successful outcome. Jesus makes it plain when he says, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Again, this hyperbolic statement is clear. Those who follow Jesus have to take seriously that a cost, adjustments, changes will be required. But remember, remember that the story Jesus has just told is of a banquet feast, lavishly spread with every good thing freely given, everything you need freely given. Refusing the call, the invitation, making any excuse means that you are blowing off that feast. You are blowing off that open door, that entry into a fullness that even the other good gifts of life can never fully rival. It's an illusion to think that anything other than God's way of love and humility and mercy and justice will satisfy our deepest hunger and thirst. And we are called to enter in for our sake, not just to avoid some devastating consequence, but rather because our own growth, our sense of purpose, our sense of experience 
in community that might even be called beloved, all of these will be discovered as we walk the way with Jesus and with one another. It's only when we bring ourselves as fully as we can into the community that the vision of God, the dream of God, the art of God can be fully whole. When the district superintendent brought me in to meet with the Foundry Board back in 2014 as the newly appointed senior pastor, I remember a particular engagement with one of the saints of Foundry, Larry Slagle. I shared with the board that many churches, and I think I was saying this in response to Larry asking me, well, what are you going to do? What are your plans for Foundry? And I said something like this. I said, many churches seem to be lowering the requirement bar for joining the congregation, perhaps out of fear or a desire to increase their membership roles. You know, there's a lot of bad news about shrinking churches. I understand that. But I believe, I said, that this signals that we don't think our covenant commitment to God and to one another is important. These days, people have choices, and they want to be part of something that matters. And the more we treat something as unimportant, oh, it's just not going to ask much of you. It's easy. It's no big deal. You don't have to do much. The more we treat something as unimportant, the less important others will believe it is. I shared my sense with Larry and the board that thriving churches, I believe, ask more of people, are clear about the investment of time and energy and resources that are required for a growing, vital, impactful life of faith. Larry, who was seated directly across from me at the board table, pressed, well, is this something that you plan to do at Foundry? And I said, well, that depends upon Foundry, because this is something that only we can do together. Thankfully, Larry seemed satisfied. which meant that I got the job, basically. (laughs) Jesus wasn't trying to get names on rolls or to pretend that there was no cost, no sacrifice required to enter into life in the kingdom fully. He was showing us a vision for how life can be when we don't hold back, when we don't make excuses, We we don't turn away or run away or take our peace out of the vision. He was showing us how life can be when we don't hold back the beautiful gifts of ourselves, but rather offer them to God's work of love and mending in the world. My vision for Foundry has been, will always be in line with this vision and this teaching, this hard teaching of Jesus 
to believe that Foundry is not trying to make things easy. We are trying to make things meaningful and purposeful and impactful and life-giving for all of us, for others who are joining us, for this city, for this nation, and ultimately the world. It only happens as we bring our full selves. It only happens as we offer the particularity and the unique gifts that each of us bring. The vision is to be a unique embodiment of the body of Christ called Foundry. And as we give ourselves to that vision, we enter the feast set for us by God. The feast is freely given, but we may have to rearrange our plans. We may have to reallocate some resources. We may have to let some things go if we want to be truly, fully filled, and in so doing, fulfill the vision that God has for us. May it be so. Amen. Amen.